Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Have your Bibles. Turn to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. We are in a series called All the Feels. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, how you feeling? Well, you're fixing to find out, I guess, huh? Talking about feelings and emotions, and we kicked this off last week and, man, just had a little fun with it. Um, I think one of the things that we've discovered, and this is going to be a, a kind of a baseline that guides us through this series on emotions and feelings, is this. And I want you to jot this down. I don't know if you remembered what we said last week, but I think this is a good way to kind of enter into these conversations as we discover how God uses feelings and emotions in our lives. But we need to know this, that emotions are gauges and not guides right? They are gauge. Remember we said that last week? They are gauges. A gauge will reflect what's going on, but it doesn't dictate what you're supposed to do. Your emotions and your feelings, they report to you, but they don't rule over you. Can I have a better amen? You know, the truth is we can't always help how we feel. Nod your head if you're with me. I'm setting some of you free right now. Because I think sometimes we grew up, you know, with the mindset of, well, you're not allowed to feel that way, and you're not supposed to feel that way. And, you know, and even in church, I'll tell you what I love about this church. We embrace the passion and emotion of the moment. Man, we're celebrating. We're shouting. We're in worship. We lift our hands. You know, we, sometimes if we get really excited, we dance. Some of you are like, oh, wait, that's not of God. <laughs> Emotional. And that's okay if you're not. I mean, you can tap your big toe inside your shoe and nobody will know but you and God. But I'm grateful to be a part of a church that gives us the freedom to feel. You can't help how you feel, but your feelings don't have to dictate how you act. So emotions, they are, they're gauges. They, they dial us in as to where we are, but then faith dials us into where God is. And so in this series, All the Feels, we're looking at some of the things, some of the feelings and emotions that we wrestle with, and we say, okay, Lord, what to do with this? If I can't always help how I feel, Lord, give me instruction on what to do with these feelings. And so today I want to talk to you about fear. Everybody say fear. fear. I don't know if you realize this, but there are literally thousands of recognized phobias in the world today, phobias, fears, and actually they're clinically diagnosed and they have big long names. In fact, I want to take you through a quick list to see if you can help discern what these fears are. Claustrophobia, claustrophobia is the fear of what? Yeah, closed in spaces, confined spaces. If you suffer from claustrophobia, I want to encourage you to come to the five o'clock service because there's a little more room. Yeah, some of you, man, coming to Easter is a challenge, people all up in your space. And then we're always saying, hey, turn to your neighbor. And it's like, hi. <laughs> Claustrophobia is the fear of confined spaces. What about arachnophobia? Yeah, y'all are so smart, the fear of spiders. How many remembers that movie, arachnophobia? Yeah. And you weren't afraid of spiders until you saw that movie, and then you're left with a fear of How'd you like something like that crawling up in your bed at night? Ooh, sweet Jesus, I'm coming to meet you. Um, 
What about this? Acrophobia. Acrophobia is a fear of heights. It's a fear of heights. Yeah, how many of you suffer from that? Now, this is one that I legitimately, I suffer from this one. I could not sleep on the top bunk because of my fear of heights. Sometimes you go on vacation, you go to the condo, you're on the 14th floor, there's the balcony, and I'm just like, kids, stay away from the rail. Mama, go get your children. I mean, it just, it paralyzes us. Fear of heights. Um, what about this? Nomophobia. Nomophobia. Some of you are like, is that no more? <laughs> Ain't got nomophobia. It is actually a fear of being without cell phone coverage. Yeah. Okay, all you millennials, can I just tell you something? We didn't have cell phones back in my day. Come on, somebody. God forbid you're on a camp out or you're driving in an area that's kind of, you know, cell phone towers. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Okay, no more phobia. Uh, what about this? Palatophobia. Palatophobia. Any idea what that may be? Fear of becoming bald. <laughs> Fear of becoming bald. Yes, some of us have conquered our fears. Yeah, Rachel showed me a picture the other day. Somebody had taken a picture, and I was, I was praying for somebody, so I was kind of bent over, and she said, babe, is that you? I'm like, I think so. Why? She's like, what's that bald spot growing right there on the back of your head? I'm like, hey, girl. Watch yourself. P pagonophobia, pagonophobia, pagonophobia. Any, any idea? Fear of beards. Fear of so if you can't grow it, fellas, if you can't grow it in one place, we can grow it in another. Come on. Come on. What about this? Aviatophobia. Aviatophobia. Yes, it's a fear of flying. A fear of flying. How many of you suffer from this? You'd rather drive 15 hours than take a one-hour flight. Come on, anybody? Yes. Uh, odontophobia. Odontophobia. Fear of... Literally, it's a fear of teeth, okay? A fear of teeth. I think dentists, I love going to the dentist. I love my dentist. In fact, he comes to church here. He may be in this service right now. In fact, I'm going to go see him tomorrow morning. But, um, yeah, when I was young, I had a 12-millimeter overbite. Just put that into context. The normal overbite is a 2. I was a 12. I could eat corn on the cob through a picket fence. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> they call me Chopper back in the day, man. Woo! Glory. Thank God for braces. Uh, clinophobia. Clinophobia. Clinophobia is the fear of going to bed. How many of you, you think your kids may suffer from this? I don't want to go to bed. Last but not least, lacanophobia. Lacanophobia, it's the fear of vegetables. Yeah. You know how to get over your fear of vegetables? Just wrap it in bacon. Come on, I'll eat broccoli. You wrap that thing in bacon. <laughs> there are literally thousands of phobias and fears. Let me tell you something about fear. No one is exempt from fear. Not a single person. 
Everybody here today, those that are watching at Denham, those that hear this message, in one way, shape, or form, we will face fear, whether it's been clinically diagnosed or whether it's something emotional. Sometimes we suffer from fear of rejection. Maybe some of you as a kid growing up, going through middle school years, or maybe something that happened in your home, you know, you have carried a fear of rejection that has followed you into your adult life. Sometimes we fear failure, and that's why we don't try things. We don't step out. We don't take risks. We're afraid of what might happen if we fail. Sometimes we're afraid we fear man. We're afraid of the opinions of others. What will he say? What will she think? What will they do? And we live for they. What about they? What about, let me ask you this. Who are they? And why are they ruling your life? Sometimes we're afraid of, you know, a health situation. If I get a diagnosis, it's, it, the doctors say it's terminal. That's our worst fear. What if we lose our health and there's nothing we can do about it? Maybe we struggle in a marriage or we struggle in a relationship with one of our children. We have this fear that our kids are going to make bad decisions and they're going to ruin their life. Or maybe we have a fear of being alone. Some of you that are single, I'm afraid that I'll never get married and the devil will torment you and he'll pound you and press you and make you think that you're not worthy, that you're not valuable. I need to be in a relationship. i got to have a relationship. I told my girls the other day, I said, look, when a boy comes up to you and says, girl, you fine, you tell him, yeah, I'm just fine without you. Come on, somebody. Because I'm complete in Jesus. Come on, can I have a good amen? Sometimes we're afraid. (laughs) I'm trying to invent a spray like a repellent that keeps boys away. If I can do that, if I can discover that, how many might be interested in that? Spray those girls down. Okay, go ahead. Keep the mosquitoes away. We're afraid of the dark. How many have ever had, like, you know, you hear something that goes bump in the night? Fellas, how many of you, you're a man's man. Ain't scared of that. Man of God. You know what's up. You hear something goes bump in the night. I tell Rachel, she knows how it works. I am God's man of the hour, his tower of power. I hear something that goes bump in the night. I'm like, hey, babe, go check that out. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to pray, and the Lord is going to be with you. Nobody is exempt from fear. Can I have a good amen? But here's what you need to know. Fear will try to hold you hostage. The devil has a plan when it comes to fear. There's a very dark, demonic plan of the enemy to leverage fear in your life to hold you hostage and to keep you bound. You see, fear will keep us in jobs that we hate. Fear will keep us in relationships that are bad for us. Fear will keep us in habits that we can't break. Come on, I'm talking to somebody here. And the devil, now the the, the truth is all of us will experience fear, but there's a very determined dark plan of the enemy when it comes to fear. Can I tell you this? Fear will exaggerate our insecurities. All of us have pockets of insecurity. I know we dress up and we look nice and we come to church on Sunday and sometimes on the surface it looks like everything's together, but on the inside, if you could x-ray the way that we think, the x-ray the way that we feel, there are pockets of insecurity and the devil will leverage fear to exaggerate insecurities. I've heard this said my whole life, fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. It's not true but it has the resemblance of truth. It's false, and sometimes we will base our thinking and our actions on evidence that's not true, but because of fear, we feel like it is. 
Can I tell you this? The devil has no real power. Only the power to deceive. It's deception. He clouds it. He masquerades it. It's not true, but we feel like it is. Well, today in Psalm 27, this is one of my favorite chapters. And I love this. Let me give you a little context before we dive into this topic of fear. And I want to share with you a little bit of the history of why David wrote this psalm. Many of you know David is a very familiar character in the Old Testament, one of the greatest kings of Israel. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 16 that he was anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel. Came straight from the sheep field, received an anointing. God saw something in David that even his parents, his family didn't see. Can I tell you this? Sometimes God will recognize something in you that it's hard for you to see in yourself. The anointing oil was poured over David. He has this anointing to be king. And then immediately out of that, we read one of the famous battles, David versus Goliath. This big towering giant that has harassed the, the, the Israelites for 40 days in the valley of Elah. And here comes this little shepherd boy, stumbles onto the scene. And you know the story with, with a rock in his pocket and God in his heart. David charges onto the battlefield. And he, he, he destroys, he defeats Goliath and routs the Philistine army. And the Bible says in that moment, David becomes a national hero. His fame is spread all throughout the land. He goes from the sheep field to the battlefield, and now he's a hero, and they're singing songs about him. I mean, the number one song on the Galilean charts, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. Oh, and it was a catchy tune, and everybody liked to sing it. But every time Saul heard that song, something died on the inside. Change that radio. Ah, that's the worst song ever. Couldn't stand it. The Bible says he was jealous of David, so we went after him to kill him. And David goes from the top of the charts to the king's most wanted list. He's living as a fugitive now. He's on the run. The Bible says that he hides in the mountains, and, and he's in this cave, the cave of Adullam. And most scholars believe that Psalm 27 was written while David was fleeing from Saul, living in a cave. Read with me in Psalm 27, verse 1. We're talking about fear. Here's what David says. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? (laughs) The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Don't you see, David, he's almost talking to himself here. How many of you ever talk to yourself? How many of you driving down the road and you just having a conversation with you? And it's one of the most intelligent conversations you'll have all day. <laughs> David's talking to himself and he's saying, the Lord is. Who, here's who God is to me. He's my light. He's my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress. He protects me from danger. I'm not going to tremble. When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I'll remain what? Now, notice to me, this is fascinating. Right right out the gate, I want you to notice what David does here. In this cave of darkness and discouragement, as he's running for his life and fear is all around him, notice how David starts this psalm. He starts this psalm by focusing on the Lord. 
The first thing, if I can tell you, is this. If you're in a season, if you're in a situation where you feel fear coming against you, focus on who God is. You see, human nature, and this is, let's just be honest, human nature is when you're going through something, you think about it and you talk about it. Come on. When you've got circumstances around you that are intimidating you, pressuring you, it's all you can think and it's all you can say. If we're not careful, we'll speak more about our circumstances than we do about our God. And the more we think about it, the more we talk about it, the bigger it seems to grow. Are you with me? You see, 99% of the things we, we fear never even happened. But the devil will take that 1%. He will leverage 1% against the other 99. Can I have a better amen? And yet David says, the Lord. Somebody say, the Lord. What's his thought in that cave? It's not his enemies. It's not his situation. It's not his circumstances. It's not even the odds. His thoughts are on God. And let me encourage you, beloved, in your situation, if you'll think about the Lord, if you'll speak of who he is, if you'll set your mind, watch this, watch this, if you'll set your mind in a place of victory, you'll end up with victory. You see, the more we think about and talk about who God is, the greater awareness we have of his power in our life. You see, pay more attention to who God is than what's coming against you. And listen, I'm I'm like you. I've got problems. I've got pressures. I have fears and insecurities. But I try not to speak a lot about them because I know the more I talk about them, the more I think about them. And the more I think about them, the more aware I am of everything that's against me. Now, I'm not saying you got to fake it and pretend. But I am saying this. Regardless of where you find yourself, if you'll focus on the Lord, the presence of God, the power of God can fill you right where you are. You know, a good example of this, remember whenever the Israelites were standing on the brink of the promised land, and remember how Moses sent out some spies to go check out the land? How many members that? How many spies did he send? Twelve. He sent 12 spies to represent the 12 tribes. So each spy goes into the land, and guess what? For 40 days, somebody say 40 days. 40 days, they're checking that place out. Forty days later, they come back and they give a report. Ten spies said, whoa, 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 wait a second. There's some giants over there. All they could see was giants. So all they could say was, we're grasshoppers. Now now hear this. What we see and what we say is crucial. Come on, some of you need to write that down. What you see and what you say is crucial to the direction of your life. All they could see was giants. Oh, the descendants of Anak are there. Man, there's no way. They're just huge. They're giants. We're grasshoppers. Notice how they're focusing on their circumstances. But two spies, Joshua and Caleb, they come back and say, wait a minute. We saw grapes that were massive. That's a land of abundance. Our God is even greater. Let's go and let's take that land now. Do you see the difference in report? One looked at the circumstances, and it created fear. The other looked at, at, at God, and it created faith. When you set your focus on who God is, do you know what grows in your life? Faith. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? David says, the Lord is my light. Why is that important? Because light exposes darkness. 
Sometimes we're afraid of the dark. We're afraid of what's in the dark. We're afraid of what we can't see. David said, the Lord is my light. Even in the darkness of this cave, the Lord is my light, and he's my salvation. Rescued, delivered. It comes from God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And then he says, the Lord is my strong tower. He's my fortress. Think about it. David is hiding in the fortress of this cave. But yet David recognizes God is the rock that sustains me. You see, if you'll speak and you'll see God in your life, it builds faith because fear's coming. I said fear's coming. And where you set your focus determines what grows most in your life. Once you consider this, consider everything that David had lost. Okay? Watch how this works. As he flees... He's running for his life. Saul has a, a bounty on his head. So David, with the anointing of a king, is living like a fugitive. He leaves what's familiar. He lost his family. He lost his position. The army that he trained, I mean, this will blow your mind. David was a skilled warrior. He trained this incredible Israeli army, and now the very army that he trained is coming after him. He lost his, his prominence, his position, his family, his army, didn't even have a weapon. You know, as he's running for his life, he stops and talks to the priest and says, hey, I need something. What do you have? He says, well, I only have the sword that you killed Goliath with. Take that sword. How <laughs> I many you know a sword is not just for holding? A sword is for swinging. How many ever wanted to buy a sword? <laughs> Name it Kindness. And kill people with kindness. <laughs> All he has is a sword, and now he's lost everything. I think this is a word for somebody. Don't look at what you've lost. Look at what you have left. Some of you, fear has robbed from you. It's robbed opportunities. It's destroyed relationships. You know, the, the, the purpose of God, the plan, the dream that you've had, it's taken that from you. Don't look at what you've lost. Look at what you have left. The only thing that David had in that cave was God. But listen, if he's all you have, he's all you need. Sometimes we don't realize that God is all we need until he's all we have. Why are we inventorying everything that we've lost? God's saying, no, 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 I'm with you even in that dark place. Can I have a good amen? amen? When you face fear, focus on the Lord. Don't give your circumstances more press. Don't give those headlines more attention than you do the character and nature of God. In fact, you know what you may have to do? You may have to shut your eyes to see through eyes of faith. When what's around you doesn't match what God has put inside of you, then close your eyes and focus on the Lord. Bible says, David immediately says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? Now look at what it says here, verse 4. The one thing, somebody say one thing. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is this. To live in the house of the Lord... All the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Why is that important? For he will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will what? 
hold my head high. Let me stop right here and say this. Some of you, fear has beaten you down. And all you do is you just, you, you can't even lift your head. God's wanting to give you some confidence so you can hold your head high. The Bible says that God is our glory and the lifter of our See, something about the house of God, the presence of God. Even among the enemies, he said, I will hold my head high above all those who surround me. And at his sanctuary, I'll offer sacrifices with what? Now, y'all are whispering. With what? Shouts of joy, with singing and praising the Lord with music. Here's the second thing I want you to see. When you're faced with fear, first of all, focus on the Lord. But number two, prioritize God's house. Prioritize the house of God. What was the one thing David asked for? Now think about it. David needed a lot, but he only asked for one thing. Interesting how he wanted the house of God. Why was that important? Because the house of God represented the presence of God. It was the place of worship. It represented the people of God. How many of you know that together we are better? There's something about an environment like this that creates faith. You know, I think part of fear is isolating us. Part of the plan of the enemy when it comes to fear is to separate you from the body of Christ. Come on now. You know, maybe we've been hurt or we've been wounded. You know, maybe somebody has said or done something against us and, you know, we, we, we carry offense or there's internal pain and then we tend to withdraw. And God's saying this, my house is a house of healing. And if, if a lot of your pain comes through relationships, then a lot of your healing will come through relationships too. David said, I'm just asking for one thing. I want the house. Bring me back to your sanctuary, O Lord. That's where your presence dwells. That's where your people, I draw strength from your presence and support from your people. Hear me, you need the house of God. Don't let the enemy leverage fear and intimidation to isolate you and get you disconnected from his house. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I remember as a boy growing up, I grew up in a small town called Fredericktown. Fredericktown, Missouri. It's in the middle of nowhere. You know how the Bible talks about the ends of the earth? It's in Fredericktown. <laughs> I mean, we only had 3,000 people in the entire town that I grew up in. Not a single stoplight. We had one courthouse in the middle of town. And it was kind of a little roundabout that you kind of, it, it broke off into four directions, and that was it. You know, it's amazing how God's blessed us with a community of faith here. There are more people that attend Healing Place Church than the entire population of the town I grew up in. And in the summer, all the kids went to the town pool. I mean, that was the hangout spot. That's where all my buddies went. And, you know, man, you're in middle school and, you know, starting high school. Everybody going to the swimming pool, going to the town pool. And at the town pool, there were two diving boards. There was a low dive, and then there was a high dive. Well, I'd taken swimming lessons that year, and so I'd learned how to swim. And so started jumping off that low dive and doing cannonballs and doing can openers and doing flips and then diving off the low dive. Look at me, look at me. I'm swimming like a fish. But then all my friends started jumping off the high dive. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. How are they doing that and I'm here? Something on the inside of me said, you need to take it up higher. <laughs> you see, I saw something that my friends were experiencing, and I thought, you know what? I want it too. That's part of the value of the body of Christ. 
You know, God, he, he grows us in community. So I said, you know, what's it going to take for me to dive off the high dive? So that summer, I mean, I was petrified. And I, I, I had to work up the courage and confidence to even take the steps. And I remember climbing up the steps and stepping out onto that platform. And it felt like it was 10 times higher on that platform than on the ground. And all my friends are like, come on, hurry up, get going. And, the, you know, the lifeguard sitting on the chair blowing the whistle like, You know, and all the pretty girls are watching and some stretching. But really, I'm stalling because I'm scared. I'm thinking there's only one of two ways down. It's either the steps to defeat or it's the dive to victory. So I walked out onto the edge, and I'm afraid as all get out. And I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, a gust of wind. And I am clawed. I mean, my, my, my toes are curling around the edge of that board. I'm holding on for dear life, but I had leaned too far forward, and there was no going back. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? See, God's telling some of you just to lean into my presence. Come on, lean for. I know fear may try to hold you back, but if you'll lean into me, there was no turning back. And I come up out of the water. I'm alive. (laughs) And all it took was one dive. And guess what I did the rest of the day? I dove off that high dive because one time facing fear, I conquered it. Hear me, listen, listen to me. When you're connected to the house of God, the presence of God, the people of God, you can face your fear and you can destroy it. The truth is this. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being afraid but it's going anyway. Some of you, God's telling you, it's time to go up higher. It's time for you to take some steps. It's time for you to lean into my presence. Well, Mike, what about fear? Let me tell you something I've learned about fear. Fear is the very servant of God. Fear and growth are inseparable partners. Some of you have been praying, Lord, I want to grow. I want to grow in my faith. And God's saying, okay, well, your life's going to bump up against fear. Watch this, watch this. Fear and growth go together like PB and J. Can I have a good amen? It is the perfect combination. Fear and growth go together like macaroni and cheese. You can't have the mac without the cheese. Biscuits and gravy. It is a perfect combination because when you face your fears, it gives your faith a chance to grow. David said one thing. Come on, somebody say one thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek. God, give me your house. Give me your presence. Look at what it says here. Look at verse 12. Let me wrap this up. He says, don't let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. See, the devil just has threats. That's all he has. But David says, yet I am what? Confident that I'll see the Lord's goodness While I'm here in the land of the living, one translation says, I would have lost hope unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He says finally in verse 14, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. The third thing I want you to see is this. Not not only do we focus on God, prioritize his house. But when it comes to overcoming fear, we've got to wait 
in confidence. Wait confidently on him. David is in this cave, and there's really no way out. There's no way. He's trapped. If the enemy comes in, where's he going to go? But yet he's waiting on God. I looked up that phrase, wait patiently, in the Hebrew, and I want you to see the picture that the Bible paints for us. Waiting patiently in the Hebrew, it literally means a rope that is under tension, but it will not break. A rope that's, that's tight under pressure, but it will not splinter. It will not tear apart. And some of you, this is exactly where you are. You feel the pressure. You feel the tension, and your life is pulled tight. But God says, if you wait on me in confidence, you won't be ripped apart. Trust me. I'm, some of you have actually said this week, I feel like my life is breaking apart. Some of you have said that. Some of you have felt that. Circumstances around you have made you feel closed in and you're in that cave and you feel like there's no way out. You see, when you're faced by fear, there's either one or two, two things you can do. It's either fight or flight. And yet God says, wait on me. Wait. Don't forget, don't forget what Jesus has done for you. You know what Jesus did on the cross? I want you to consider this. On the cross, Jesus defeated three of the greatest adversaries you will ever face in life. He defeated death. He defeated the devil. And he defeated sin. Don't you think about that. Death, the devil, and sin. I don't know what battles we're facing currently, but death, the devil, and sin. There's probably no greater foe, and yet Jesus defeated them all. Do you know there's nothing more for God to do when it comes to securing your victory? Sometimes we say, well, Lord, I need you to do, and yet Jesus already did everything necessary. What more could Jesus do? He came to this earth. He, he, he laid down his life. They, they crucified him on a cross, buried him in a tomb. But three days later, God, the Bible says, that spirit of God raised Jesus out of that grave. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. You know what that position of seating is? Finality. It's complete. It's finished. There's nothing more for Jesus to do. He's already done everything for our victory. So what does that mean? Okay, then we've got to position ourselves. Waiting in confidence is all about positioning yourself in God. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225 753-2273.